0: everybody welcome to dead cat tom and eric here no katie this week she is off electing a new pope uh, so we don't have her but this week we're talking politics we've got tim miller here political insider gop strategist author former 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 gop strategist i'm sorry uh we're gonna leave that all in though author writer at large at the bulwark i just added that one outspoken trump critic I'm mostly pulling from your Wikipedia, but is there anything else I should have included there? I have a show on Snapchat called Not My Party.
1: I have a, I'm a Snapchat content creator now. Okay, you know, father, Oakland how, how did resident. You make Snapchat, Snapchat came to me.
2: <laughs> the dollars, dollars. But it is, it is,
1: gr- it is great actually. i love it. I know that that you know, it's not cool to be you know on Snapchat if you're 38 or whatever, and it doesn't feel like it's doing that great. But there are many daily active users who are teens. And so if I get recognized on the street, there's only two groups of people that will say hello to me. Like 58-year-old women in Whole Foods, who know me from MSNBC. Right, or that's 16, audience. Yeah, yeah, or 16-year-old Model UN boys who
0: watch the snapchat show i love those those are my two demos who do you think you have more influence over like who do you think you really i I think i think the moms i think i think
1: i have more influence over the moms yeah but i I would like to say that the answer was the 16 year old model young boys but they're all independent minded
0: i think it's the moms who i've got wrapped around my finger they all want me to date their son or daughter Uh uh-huh that's the best whole foods conversation yeah I want to say quickly, it may not be cool to have a Snapchat show at 38. It is very cool to write about Snapchat when you're 37, 38. really? I want to to make that as abundantly clear. I I concur with that. Yeah. But anyway, so this is supposed to be our our politics episode. We got our midterms preview and the role that tech and tech money has played in the campaign. But uh, I mean, look, we're recording this episode on a Friday and at 1,900 hours last night, zero hour arrived, and the walls of Twitter were permanently breached. Uh, <laughs> the barbarians have entered the gate. He's like, he's firing people. Heads on stakes right now outside uh, Twitter and Market Street. But yeah, Elon owns the company now. The prisons have been emptied. The scores have canceled. Miscreants are hooting and hollering and shooting guns up in the air as they're all being let back onto the platform. So I guess we should just start right there. I mean, what do we have to say about uh, an Elon-owned Twitter and the free-for-all that he has promised to uh, to unleash onto the world?
1: Yeah, I think that it's not going to be as fun as he thinks it's going to be. Though he seems to have fun in shitty situations a lot, so maybe he'll make the best of it. But I wrote about do you guys are you guys familiar with the website Getter? Yeah. Very popular social media site Getter. That's how uh, I spend all my time for so far right uh, white nationalists. You know? Yeah, I wrote an article last year, headlined "Getter by the Pussy." If you want to <laughs> Google it, <laughs> mm-hmm. that that explored a very traumatizing hour that I spent on Getter, looking at all of the weird porn and like racial slurs. And the thing is that like content moderation is very unfun. And it is very challenging. And I think the decisions are not as... It's much easier to complain about content moderation than to moderate content. And so I think that Elon is in for a rockier time than he expects on that front. A lot of these decisions are not that clear. Do
2: you think he will, like, tear down the floodgates and deal with it? Or do you think he'll come to Jesus pretty fast and be like, oh, my God, this is going to be a mess if I, if I really unleash? Well,
0: he's already having to reckon with, you know, with advertisers. And the fact that if you turn that right. place into a cesspool, it's incredibly unappealing to the people that keep the fucking lights on. Right. So that's My analogy like- is always
1: Craigslist. Can an unmoderated site survive? I mean, I guess Craigslist still survives, but do people use it anymore? Like, no, Uh, you know, because it becomes scam artists and white nationalists and porn. There's already plenty of porn on Twitter. And so like, you know, last time I tried to buy tickets for a Warriors game on Craigslist, I got scammed. Okay, so people don't use this shit anymore and people stop using Twitter and advertisers will stop advertising on Twitter. So it does become a problem. He's gonna have to decide what to do about Donald Trump here you know i think that you know, he'll probably do away with some of the stuff that i didn't really think that was that valuable that twitter tried to do to you know calm down critics like you know random twitter fact checks <laughs> of things <laughs> right. and like i like i don't think any of that stuff was that useful in the first place so i'm sure he'll get rid of some of that and there'll be you know more of a free for all to say untrue things about vaccines and
2: do you do you think whatnot. as as sort of a whisper of of the right who can speak yeah. to the left like do you think he will win over right-leaning people on Twitter? I mean, like, Trump has a competing, you know, network with Truth Social. I guess Trump will come back just for the audience. But, I mean, do you think he'll be able to sort of keep up the act of being on team right-wing?
1: Yeah. I think so because it's super easy to keep up the act of being on Team Right Wing right now because it's just an oppositional nature towards elites. Got
2: to trigger us, trigger.
1: Yeah, yeah. so he can just kind of focus on complaining still about other left-wing elites. And that will keep him in the good graces of the MAGA types. You know, he already has replied to Cat Turd today, letting him know Mm. that he's looking into his shadow ban. Sleep easy,
2: everybody, Elon. (laughs) It's on the
1: case. He's looking into Cat... Can you imagine being a mid-level executive at Twitter and getting an email today from Elon that's like, hey, could you please investigate the Cat Turd shadow ban? He says he's not being searched. (laughs) At least you
0: finally have an answer to the question of what did you get done this week. It's like, well, I I unbanned Cat Turd. Are we sure Cantor was actually
1: shadow banned or did they just not have, you know, that in- engaging of content?
2: Right. The guy has like, I think somebody was saying he has 800,000 followers or something. It was like just angry that he's not getting enough engagement.
0: Well, that's the issue, I think. I mean, that, you know, like the QAnon moment when Trump finally, you know, had to step down and Biden came in and you realize that the prophecy wasn't true. Yeah. I wonder how much of the prophecy not being true with the shadow banned people, they'll have to reckon with that. That, you know, it's like Elon's in charge and I'm still not getting the engagement I thought I should be getting. Maybe this wasn't about like a giant... Left-wing Silicon Valley conspiracy.
1: I think that they'll find other things to you know feel aggrieved about, and I think that they probably will be a little bit more of a bump in engagement because some people—I don't know how many—but you know there'll be some meaningful number of people that come back from Getter and Truth and Parlor and either do both or return to the site. You know, they're I'm so sure that small though,
0: it, I, like Parlor, I think has twenty-five thousand right. DAU. Right, but, I
1: mean, yeah, could, but, but if you're talking about one of these people, if you're a conservative media tweeter. You know, who like tweets complaining about right. the liberal media and like you are getting 12 retweets and now you're getting 18. Like, you're like, all right, uh, <laughs> you know, my message is spreading now. So yeah. I, I think that there'll be it's some modest. growth. Yeah, it won't do anything for like the bottom line of Twitter, the number of people that come back. Right? right. But for the users, you know, to assuage them, you know, you're already seeing today people feel very gleeful to like you know, tweet racial slurs and like make fun of, you know, tell people to learn to code and all that sort of stuff. So like they will feel, good. there'll be a, a brief bump of endorphins.
2: What do you make of the argument that moderates tend to like content moderation more? And Elon has positioned this as sort of simultaneously like a moderate crusade and a sort of protect the right crusade. How do you see those two things intersecting? Do you think he's going to end up serving... The middle who doesn't want to see like the N word in their feeds or he's going to know that his core constituency is sort of the the troll crowd and he needs to keep them pretty close.
1: Yeah. I actually don't know that there is as much dissonance as the question would make it seem, because here's why. There are two groups of moderates, right? There's my group, right, which is the, you know, folks that left the Republican Party over Trump, you know, that have generally, you know, whatever, classically liberal, moderate, centrist views and, like, care about things like democracy and norms and such. We're not going to like... The changes that Elon is making, okay, but when Elon uses the word moderate, that's not who he's talking about. Elon is talking about Joe Rogan moderates, right? <laughs> like people that were that like are also for Bernie and kind right. of for Trump, right? right, right. right. And
0: the like incoher- the incoherent yeah, it's just like, like a, like, we're a, a we're cornucopia not- <laughs> of views that coalesce around random candidates and like <laughs> I should express
2: whatever mood I have at. Any I mean, that's given honestly how most mind.
0: normal people are, or maybe not most, but a lot of normal people don't really align themselves to parties or candidates. They're just like, oh, I believe believe in, I don't know, gun rights and also that, you know, we should be nicer to trans people.
1: Yeah, exactly. So he just so he's like a reactionary moderate, right, which is like, I have questions about vaccines, but I also, you know, I'm not a religious nut, but I also, you know what I mean? And we can get into this and where Teal and all those other guys are. So I just I think that it is a different type of group that he's speaking to, which are people with like heterodox, kind of radical heterodox views. They are also moderate in the same way I am, but we like disagree on everything. Right. But we're both moderate in the sense that
0: we're not like in line with whatever the generic view is from the predominant political parties. But who is the enemy then for the right wing now, you know, at least on Twitter? I mean, they had such a perfect foil when they could say, you know, these are the libs of Silicon Valley that are stopping me from reaching my you know, God-given audience. But at this point with him in charge, I mean, they need something, right? I mean, that's the core of... I've got great news for you, Tom. Yeah? Is it me? You. Oh, you. <coughs> yeah. You, you're you the enemy now. That's fine. Yeah, that's yeah, actually going to yeah. be huge for my follower count because I'm <laughs> the smallest of the three here. So yeah. I, I'd be glad to mm. bring it on. That's fine. I don't know if you in
1: particular, but meet the media. I, I mean, look, there, there will always be people to be aggrieved about on Twitter. That's just yeah. na- they will no longer be able to be aggrieved about the Twitter executives, but that's just one category. Okay, I think that some people will be upset with Elon, but again, eventually you kind of have to just realize who's on your side and join that side, right? And, and I think that there will probably be some decisions that Elon makes that they don't like, but the overwhelming majority of these people are not people that have like broadly defined, like very specific policy views about exactly what type of content moderation should be done on these big platforms. Like their views are just, there's this group of people that I hate. And so I'm going to focus on on that. And that is what drives me and what motivates me. And that group of people is not Elon.
2: I appreciate that you're the ex-conservative and your, your takeaways. Their reasoning is dumber than you think it is a little bit. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, I don't, I, I don't, has there no, been anything agree, over the past always, seven years validating. that made you think that it was It's more validating when it's, you even, hear it from the others, yeah, at least somebody who was Thiel once on the other this, side. though. Just one thing that I have to say
1: is that in his speech, he talked about the concern about the right going into now Peter Thiel is smart, not like the people that are complaining about twitter.com. And he talked about nihilistic negation. And that's just a fancy way of saying like, we just believe in nothing We are oppositional to whatever the, you know, conventional wisdom elite narrative status quo, whatever buzzword you want to use, is. And, like, Peter was right about that. It was, like, a self-criticism of the right that he is trying to, like, encourage them to have more, you know, solutions-oriented policy views. And so what he hasn't quite realized is that, like, the people that are supporting and following all of his, like, various projects on this front don't actually have that or care about it because he lives in, a, like, a rich person's bubble on the coasts. But he identified the problem correctly. He's supposed to come up
2: with it, though. I, I felt like that speech, yeah, it's like, oh, of it is like him shitting on California and him being a nihilist. And then the last like 10% is like, oh, by the way, we should probably have like a positive policy view. And it's like, aren't you, isn't that what sort of the intellectual? Well, I mean, look,
0: I leave it to Tim as, you know, the ex-GOP political consultant, but isn't that standard structure for a speech? You know, you want to tear down the other side and the last two seconds be like, and also we should do good things. And that's your applause Um, line. I
1: don't know if that's a standard. It's certainly a standard structure for a populist demagogue speech. I worked for moderate technocrats, so I didn't write a ton (laughs) of
0: speeches like that. Um,
1: (laughs) But yeah, I mean, sure, there's something to that. But my point is that, like, he identified a real problem there at the end. Right. But I think he either doesn't realize or just doesn't want to admit is that the underlying element of that is that the people that they're appealing to aren't looking for. These solutions, right? Like, that's not what they're interested in. And if he started a, you know, he has done some of this stuff, like a, a, you know, teal nonprofit for, you know, populist seasteading solutions, like, nobody's going to fucking tweet that shit. All right. Nobody wants to read the white paper about how. They can find a different solution than California yeah. has to solving the housing crisis problem. The group of people who care about that, finding solutions, going back to our two different kinds of moderates, are my kind of moderates, right? Like the technocratic neoliberal moderates who are like frustrated, you know, who were briefly aligned with Teal and Sachs on getting rid of Chasa and, you know, trying to change some of the ways that some of the cities are being run. Like, they're the ones that care about solutions. Like, the reactionaries that are upset about Twitter and are upset about content moderation, like, those people are not
2: interested in that. So you've given us your moderate sort of framework. Yeah. What is your view of the Republican elite right now? I mean, I feel it used to be the case... That it was like, okay, the Republican elite's willing to put up what, you know, the urbanist Republican and elite especially is willing to put up with some homophobia and racism in exchange for low taxes in a sense yes. that abortion is never going to make progress and so like who cares and that like anyone who's savvy knows that this is all about low regulation and taxes. And if you're the type of person who's going to get so upset about like a bunch of people like saying things that aren't even going to be implemented, like you're an idiot. That's sort of how I make sense of the old Republican elite, which seems so much nicer now. I think at the time that I hated them, but now I'm like, man, if only they were willing to sell out all their principles so they could pay low taxes, at least that would make sense. What is the Republican elite right now want? Because even Peter Thiel is trying to incite some of the Populism. He's not just trying to do this just for low yeah. taxes, right?
1: Yeah, well, it kind of depends on what you mean by elite. Like, at this point, to me, the Mitch McConnells of the world are like yesterday's men, and some of them realize it and some of them don't. And, like, those are the people that you are describing, right, who are still around. And, like, they were just willing to make greater sacrifices on the altar of nativism and, you know, culture war than, like, those of us who bailed over Trump were, right?
2: He held the republic together, you know? Yeah, uh,
1: they're all being displaced, though. If you just look at the types of candidates that are running right now, you know, T.L. Boy, Blake Masters, you're know, the J.D. Vances, I mean, like, Herschel Walker's ridiculous, but, like, you know, the folks that are winning primaries in these Republican states, their deal is different. They're not actually even that interested in low taxes or, you know, smaller government. In fact, they dislike
0: capitalism to a lot of extent. They certainly dislike big corporations. I mean, that's the reflection of, of, of woke capitalism, though, right? I mean, that's yeah. the Tucker Carlson view that, like, these guys are all forcing us to use the pronouns that we didn't feel yes. we had to discuss all that much beforehand.
1: Yeah, correct. And so you can see DeSantis trying to embody that. Even Marco Rubio, who is part of the older, you know, kind of way that you describe things, Eric, is now, has now changed his rhetoric towards this. So now, like, the primacy of their fight is the culture war and this is i think what some people misunderstand about what's happening on the right is like uh, there's this sense that like oh okay these are just this is like the last gasp of these old boomers like a culture war and like we had a little bit too much progress with a black president and you know kids using different pronouns and gay marriage and all this stuff and now there's a backlash to this but, but that will go away that's not
2: it the memes are the ideology
1: <laughs> yeah there's a, the new group that is displacing the old group is actually centering the culture war even more right, right. and like That is the motivating fight for people who are Republicans right now. It's something that I think that Teal and his crowd get instinctually, and maybe they don't like every element of it, but, like, they understand it, I think, better than, you know, the old Republican Guard does, some of whom who are trying to catch up. And I think that we're moving towards a Republican Party that looks more like what Teal wants and looks more like what European conservative parties are, which are culturally conservative on economic stuff, you know, maybe more conservative than the socialists, but, like, certainly not you know, free market Thatcherism or anything like that. Like, that's all gone. You know, more government control punishing foes, more isolationist, you know. So look at Brexit, look at Orban, look at Le Pen. Like, that's where the Republican Party is going. Like, it's not going to look like the old classical liberal you know Reagan Thatcherism and it's moving towards this other thing that jettisons really the fiscal conservative element to it and then obviously the global leadership element
2: do you think they do like you think they can really abandon low taxes and do you think they would embrace unions
1: probably not low taxes they won't probably won't abandon but i they certainly will abandon like pro business regulatory elements, right? And I think that low taxes will not be central to it. I don't think that you'll see a ton of tax hiking, except for tax hiking that owns the libs, like, you know, getting rid of the exemption.
2: Well, because they're also not the technocrats, so they don't actually have to balance the budget either, so it's sort of, it's like, fuck that.
1: What's the point of tax hiking? Unless you're just going to tax hike, like getting rid of the the state-based tax deduction, like to own the, you know, those of us who live in California and New York and stuff. You know, I mean, like, there'll be certain types of targeted tax hikes
0: that attack people they don't like. Just any taxes that went towards funding murals, I imagine, are in danger <laughs> at this point. <laughs> yeah, like, That sure. seems like a top issue.
2: You worked for McCain, right? Yeah. Given that you're shitting on Republicans, let's remind the listener a little, you have some real Republican credentials here. Or how long were you on... Team Elephant.
1: Yeah, for a while. I mean, since I was a kid, I started working in politics in 98 on a governor's campaign. Let's not age me too. Let's not do any (laughs) quick math on that. But I worked for McCain in 08, in 2012, I worked for John Huntsman in the primary, who was the most moderate yes. rhino mm-hmm. cuck squish candidate. And that <laughs> I think that was like the candidate that best reflected my worldview. But also the one who endorsed Trump fairly early on in 2016. Yeah, uh, yeah we had a, we've had we had a falling out over that. He also endorsed Mike Lee in a primary this week. And I had hmm. a lot of people message me like, what's your boy doing? And I was like, not my boy, man. Like, I begged him to join the anti-Trump effort hmm. I was working on in 2016. He refused to do it because he wanted to be Trump's ambassador to something. Hmm. I don't I don't. Um, did he, get so, it? Uh, he did. You he got ambassador to Russia. Great job under oh. Donald Trump. <laughs> and then I worked for Romney in the general after he beat us in the primary, and then Jeb in twenty sixteen. And I worked on the GOP autopsy in twenty twelve. That was like trying to tell the party to to bring back compassionate conservatism. Hmm. That didn't work out too well. And I did a bunch of like, you know, lower, smaller races in between all that. But those are the presidential ones.
2: I'm fascinated by the psychology of conservatives. So we sort of, we touched on the elite, McConnell, Teal a little bit. I mean, J.D. Vance is obviously running and is a key candidate in the tech oeuvre. I assume you've read... Um, "Hillbilly Elegy. Hillbilly, thank you. The book.
0: Or watch the excellent movie on Netflix. Couldn't make it through the movie.
2: Is there any connection from... The book to his like view today or what what do you make of the two people
1: there's some connection that i think speaks to where the party is going and there's this old joke on the right we used to say to make fun of you commies um yeah. which was like true marxism has never been tried you know mm-hmm. like all these guys want to be marxists that
0: so right. still say it they're like you right. know it just happens that they all turned into genocides right. you know it was right. just an accident right. but like real marxism we exactly. still haven't tried it yet. exactly when you say that's true. a joke i mean i literally hear that from people on the left i don't <laughs> right yeah, like, i, I, I do guess i guess just like I, you guys I, say I it in a mocking enough way whereas like oh, yeah, leftists we are just like, the same thing wait, no. you say to mock you yeah, yeah, exactly. right. yeah, you just repeat um, it back, but in that sneering way, you've perfected a, it over the years.
1: Uh, yeah, there you go. And so I feel the same way about conservative populism. Which is that true conservative populism has never been tried and probably is not doable for this reason. The J.D. Vance embodies what I'm talking about, which is that in a lot of ways, the J.D. Vance that like went on the, you know, Davos tour after he wrote that book, like sounded kind of a lot like Joe Manchin. Like in a lot of ways, you could almost have imagined him running as like a conservative Democrat, right? He was like culturally conservative. We have to care about rural people. You know, we shouldn't be dismissing them, telling them that they need to learn how to code. Like they also have responsibilities. They need to be able to pull themselves up from their bootstraps. But we need government, you know, a level of government support that that kind of free market Republicans
2: have been, you know,
1: not willing to give in the past. I mean, the book, right.
2: to the extent I read it, it's like 95 percent. This is their fault culturally. But then to the extent he has any solution, the last five percent is like, maybe we could do some things with the government. It yeah. still realizes that there has to be some government.
1: Yeah, right. That's what solution. I'm so it was a little bit more of a government. Like the government can be more involved right. of, um, element of concern, you know, but the book definitely maintained more personal responsibility stuff than he has now. Right. OK. So but that is the kernel of this pivot about where the party is going. Right. Which is that like laissez faire capitalism is not popular, you know, does not work and we can appeal to working class voters of all colors, but especially white voters, you know, by appealing to their grievance and saying government, big daddy government can come help you, too. And so when JD started the campaign, that is kind of the underlying element of it. It's like I can be a more populist government. The government can play more of a constructive role, kind of cultural conservative. The problem is, again, going back to the Twitter thing, these people aren't looking for like policy white papers about how we can move, you know, welfare to work, you know, and, and how we can make Medicaid more efficient or, you know, how we can add some tariffs to certain countries so that we can build more widgets in Mechanicsburg. Like, they're, like, they don't care about any of that. What they care about is that they are mad at people that they feel like have, you know, aggrieved them, that have left them behind. And so JD's campaign... Goes from like trying to address some of the legitimate grievances and come up with solutions to it to just mirroring their illegitimate grievances about right. election fraud and right. covid instead, and instead of being like, you
2: guys are fucked up and you need to fix your shit he's like i hear you they, We're yeah, like you, we're not fucked right. up at all yeah they, like, the elites right? did
1: fuck you over the <laughs> right. it, is, it is you know the reason why your your th- your life isn't going as well as it should is because somebody in berkeley right. is saying that they have they them pronouns right like i
2: like that you don't even want that help
1: so yeah, and I just think that that I think the J.D. Vance like evolution kind of shows like kind of where this is going. And as much as there might be some people who try to put some policy white papers around MAGA conservatism, like it really is just at its heart,
0: you know, about you know kind of baby birding people's grievances back to them. Yeah, and the people that have tried to you know write the white papers and and lend intellectual heft to. MAGA republicanism don't seem to have all that much power within the party or they're just not very interesting people. You know, you have like, um, fuck, what's his name? Josh Howley was trying to do right. that for, for a while, right? I mean, he had that whole convention around trying to build a theological framework around uh, Trumpism and no one really cares about him. I mean, he's probably going to, I don't know, is he going to run in, in, in 24? Uh, either way, he's not going to make I'm it very wrong. far because so, no. he has no purchase. The
1: tech policy, you guys know this better than me. But the tech policy is a great example of this, right? It's like, oh, we're mad at Section 230 and we should punish the big tech companies, right? But then it's like, well, Elon takes over and he's like, wait a minute. Now, you know, on that letter that was sent out, he's like, I realize the importance of Section (laughs) 230. right? Right. It's like they don't have any actual, like what they really want to do is emote and say that I feel like the big tech guys are being mean to us. Like they don't have actual like, oh, I think we should reform tech in X, Y, and Z ways. And the people that do want that, you know, end up... You know, just being extremely minor players.
0: Well, What's so funny about it to me is I was just noticing in, in, you know, Google released their their queue and in it they put in a new risk factor of all the different uh, regulatory legislation that could affect their business. And They had to list like all the different things that have passed in state houses that could affect their business in some way or another. And I noticed that one of the things in there was the DeSantis bill that allows people to sue uh, tech companies for deplatforming them. I actually didn't even remember when that passed it was sometime last year but you know they're like look this is a thing out there it could affect us and i mean there's no question in my mind that like if someone actually did sue under this law it would get appealed all the way up to the supreme court and someone would need to make a you know a judgment on whether or not this is a violation of the first amendment which in my mind there's no way that it's not a violation of the first amendment you know being allowed to sue someone for de-platforming it's it's so absurd But I don't know how fully they've thought any of this through, right? It just felt really good at the time to sign a bill and tweet about it and anger a bunch of what they assumed, you know, this idea of libs in Silicon Valley. Yeah, DeSantis has signed like a couple of bills that
1: are like this, that are yeah. certainly going to get overturned. And that's just one of them. If you look at the examples of legal experts, but their PR releases as as bills. And the other thing is just the whole thing is preposterous. And this is where I get uh, even crossways with the left liberal criticism. I have plenty of criticisms of big tech on the margins, but the populist left criticism of like how we need to, you know, use antitrust against yeah. and all this thing. It's just I'm like, it, it, yeah, it, yeah, it's like. I'm sorry. We just have went through this huge test, actually, about whether the big tech companies are monopolies that need to be broken up, and the answer is obviously no. This is like the golden age of Nazi social media uh, <laughs> sites. <laughs> like people who get who've been whatever deplatformed have like they've started three competing, four right. competing media companies that are all that all are doing varying degrees of fine as far as businesses. Maybe they don't have the, are the size of I, I lo- whatever, like, what but they're certainly... a to
2: market capitalism. And like, not are C- platforms not- are proliferating.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're uh. proliferating. This is the golden age of them. I mean, are they doing really any worse than RC Cola <laughs> is doing? Or like the smaller niche cola companies right. competing against Coke and Pepsi? I don't think so. Like, they're doing fine. So, uh, you know, anyway, like this is, like, it's all just preposterous, but that's uh, like, they're not they don't... Ron DeSantis doesn't care if it is. Right. If it, you know, if the law actually is
2: upheld. Do you think the Republican elite's are wannabe fascists at the moment. They know this mob is out of control, doesn't make any sense, but they want to ride this thing. You've already invoked Orban. Like, do you think this is semi-fascism, full fascism? or Obviously, Tyler Cowen wrote that piece sort of analyzing the new right recently where he sort of, I thought he was almost, he was too friendly. I mean, he he sort of concludes that the new right is totally incoherent like we are, but he's sort of like bent over backward to read some sort of anti-elitist argument through it that was meant to make sense. I think there's, no one really thinks it makes sense, like, anyway, but but do you think they're fascists? I, it depends, like,
1: you know, we get into a semantic debate, right? It's like, is Viktor Orban a fascist? I mean, I I guess, kind of. He's a semi-fascist. He's he's fascistic in a way, but he's not like Putin or she. Right. You know, I mean, like there aren't any Uyghur camps in Hungary, right? And like you can still, you're not getting arrested for tweeting. I don't like Viktor Orbán in Hungary, uh, you know, and there, there's definitely some corruptibility of the courts and the media, right? And more government control. So Jonathan Chait of the New York Magazine went to the National Conservative Conference where Thiel spoke, and, and I think, and wrote about this very smartly. And he's like, there's a lot of space between like Reagan and Putin, I forget what the fascist of Hitler. Maybe he is. I forget what the fascist example is. Like, there's a lot of space in this. Like <laughs> right. my fascist space, right? And so, yeah, I think that the Republican elites want to move to something like that. I mean, just punishing right. Disney, like get taking away Disney's tax breaks because they, you know, had a lesbian kiss in a movie. Like, is that fascistic? It's fascistic. Like, right. is it fascism? Yeah. I don't, you know, do the Republicans right. actually want to put Libs in camps? Like, I don't think so, right? But do they want to use and, But the we state shouldn't have to power? live in this
2: world where we're counting on, like, the goodness of their hearts where at no, the end of, of the day not. they won't go too far i mean i feel like as soon not. I don't as they're if that the goodness that of their hearts or the might, inefficiency like. of
0: their like operationalism right <laughs> yeah. it's like i feel well, like they would want to get a lot of this stuff done but they literally don't know how to motivate and like operationalize the troops to do anything beyond you know chaos
1: yeah. and i don't mean to downplay it right like i think that that orban's Hungary is horrible right so i'm not right. trying to downplay it. i'm just trying to say like when you're trying to give a fair assessment of what they what right. their goals are you know it is it is a like a quasi minority rule, you know. I mean, the Republicans have not won a majority of popular vote since 2004, so it's a quasi minority rule. It's 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 control of the courts. It's punishing enemies using kind of tax code and regulatory stuff. It's demonizing marginalized groups, right? So like all that stuff is bad. You know what I mean? But I, I think that sometimes when people say, oh, they want fascism, they're like, no, like literally they want to be Putin. And I'm like, not sure that's true. I I right. think that there's certainly some people, you know, Stephen Miller is pretty, <laughs> is about as fascistic as you right. can get, like looking at, you know, what he wanted to do with the child separation and all that. So, you know, there are elements of it. But I, I think that, the, that what DeSantis is doing in Florida is like moving towards urbanism is kind of what they see as, as the future.
0: Yeah. We could have Paxton on next week to, to break down the anatomy of fascism and, and you know, what de- falls into <laughs> Who? what definition. What? Robert Paxton. He wrote a kind of a seminal book about the anatomy of fascism and oh. helping to define the term in the 20th century. It's all a right. spinoff too, podcast too we smart can do. smart
2: for this show. You know. Yeah,
0: uh, yeah. Um, um, Umberto Eco. Yeah, I, I read, you know, I read like a lot of books for like a month after 2016. And so I, I vaguely remember authors and titles, but that's
1: about You kind it. of rely on all, you rely on that one month to sound smart during <laughs> yeah, the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Like and like it's reference. fading
0: more and more as days go by. So don't ask me a single question about these books. Paxton is like 89 years old too. He's not coming on. Okay. So we've already talked a lot about the candidates on the right, specifically JD Vance. And, you know, I mean, basically Trump picked him off of the scrap heap in Ohio in order, not the scrap heap, but he basically like pushed him over the line in a way that he wasn't going to make it up to that point. So he's clearly, you know, at this point, indebted to Trump. And then the other obvious person in that list, who's also a Peter Thiel, acolyte is blake masters who we haven't talked that much about i want to have it said on the podcast here because i've said it in group dms and eric is annoyed with me i think he's going to win in arizona uh, i know this is going against conventional wisdom and the polls but i just find that to be the most absurd outcome on um, the terms of selection i'm day. not
2: making predictions i, I feel like i, I don't have do you any, think any that expertise? blake masters
0: could get us a reservation at dorsia I hardly even get that reference. No, no, you've it's Romans American me.
2: Psycho, right? <laughs> 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 yeah, that's from American yeah. Psycho. He <laughs> he Psycho? Like, have you See, ever watched American book. Psycho, Tom? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, have, not in know, a long Just, just watch the movie. He, okay. It's very okay.
1: creepy. His parallels with Patrick Bateman, the main character hmm. from American Psycho. Are just, very just
0: physically? Or, or just like his, everything? His just of, physically, just the, the, the way he carries himself. Yeah, I don't know that he's done any murders. But yeah, just.
1: No emotions, the lack of emotional.
0: He's a crazy character to me because, you know, in the tech world, we were all aware of him. We knew of him as the guy that I think he wrote zero to one. Right. And, you know, he was always collected the notes for it or whatever. Yeah. I mean, he's basically a professional blogger and kind of I don't know what the word would be for Peter, Teal. What is your take on on Blake Masters? To me, uh, he's an incredible case of just I mean, he's an absolute zero, (laughs) you know, no charisma. You know, he wasn't really a figure. And he's running against like an
2: amazing candidate. Right. Mark Kelly.
0: Oh, Mark Kelly's astronaut. pretty he's pretty
1: good. He was an astronaut. Uh, I don't yeah. know if he's an amazing. How candidate. Is a, how
2: is an astronaut? I mean, I haven't watched these debates, but I would just think an astronaut, that's your dream candidate.
1: Yeah, not? I mean, Mark Kelly isn't exactly Mr. Charisma himself. He's okay. Right. He's pretty fine. He's fine. But he obviously has a much more accomplished and a better life story than Blake Masters, who took notes for Peter Thiel, as best <laughs> as we can tell. But um yeah, no, he has zero charisma. I went to see. I was doing the circus, it's Showtime Show and we had an episode in Arizona and I went down there and watched Masters, Carrie Lake, and then Ted Cruz speak at events and like I mean Masters makes Ted Cruz, you know, look like one of the great orators of all time. I <laughs> oh mean, my like God. Masters has like has literally nothing um going yeah. from a charisma standpoint. I, I bet Carrie Lake is super talented and super fashy, and I think that she could maybe carry him across the line a bit. Though just the crossover voting these yeah. days is pretty small, so it depends on how much she wins by. So I definitely I, I really think Masters could win, though I, I don't know if I'd be ready to to predict that. I think that, I think both those races are going to be pretty close, and yeah, I, I find him interesting because he is he's done a, a really good you can tell that like blake masters is like a dude from california who like has probably like some like Mainstream conservative views and like a few weird, you know, contrarian takes, just like all these fucking tech bros do, right? But is trying to now fashion himself into like what he thinks a MAGA person should say, right? Mm-hmm. And so you know, this is how you've seen him struggle on the abortion thing, you know, on the on the election front. They, they found his in...
2: old like blog posts as like a young libertarian, right? Yeah, which yeah. would and be they'll... in sort of direct contrast. I mean, yeah, he was like I on think the he was very pro
0: monarchy in that, right? <laughs> wasn't that his? Wasn't that yeah, his? Biggest? he was a
1: con- he dude. He was a contrarian bro posting on message boards like for CrossFit like that's all it was right like he was trying oh, I, to just I
2: forgot that there were CrossFit message Wait, <laughs> yeah. what's the yeah. reason for that like what it was the he last bastion like, this... of free speech he was searching for of, community like,
0: yeah. he was... you clearly haven't no. done CrossFit but it's the most uplifting community you can imagine no
1: he was searching for community and there are a lot of people the, the CrossFit to fascism pipeline is actually pretty well interesting. indicated yeah Marjorie I got out Taylor Green, enough, so I didn't, I didn't Marjorie caught, Taylor Greene but... is also CrossFit that's true so, that's yeah, true interesting yeah Sure. Um, Interesting. Anyway, I, I, Masters to me is like trying to figure out. Right. And so the did you see the humiliating video of yes. Trump calling him to tell him that he wasn't tough enough on the election fraud? Yeah, I want
0: to drop that audio into this podcast because it's, it's really something. I mean, basically, you know, he has Trump on speakerphone and they're doing like a post debate recap. And Trump, who I don't even think watched it other than the fact that he said, you know, is like you weren't strong enough about saying the election was a fraud. Yeah. yeah.
1: If you want to get across the line, you got to go stronger in that one thing. That was the one thing you had a lot of complaints about. Look
0: at Carrie. Carrie's winning with very little money. And if they say, how is your family? She says the election was rigged and stolen. You'll lose if you go soft. You're going to lose that at the base. I'm not going soft.
1: And you can just tell that Masters is like, despite the fact that I compare him to Patrick Bateman, like, he's not a total sociopath like Trump, right? Like, he knows that the election wasn't really stolen. And you can just kind of see him in the faux intellectual way, like, trying to, like stretch to find a way that he can say the right thing without like totally embarrassing himself and just being like yes i think that the chinese bamboo ballots you know were <laughs> to blame here in arizona even though there have been five audits run by republicans that have all said it was fine right like like it's hard for him to get there and so he's struggling to navigate it but i, I think that the key insight though for masters is that he is is at least not playing the game that eric was talking about at the start where it's like i really care about tax cuts and and you know all this other stuff is fake in support of that like that's not what he's doing like he really cares about the the beefs that that teal world and the paypal mafia have with the woke cultural elite Mm -hmm. and like that's what he actually cares about anything else is just in support of
2: they're not even gonna like the legit Eric Wemple just, like, admitted that he— this is a total tangent, but, like, he admitted that he was, like, afraid to criticize the Tom Cotton op-ed. Like, I just feel like whatever fires they have burning about cancel culture are, like, burning out right now. You say that, but at the
0: same time, you know, Tucker Carlson labeled Taylor Lorenz the ideological, you know, chief of the Biden White House. Glenn
2: Greenwald just tacked on Ryan Mack because Ryan Mack, like, laughed at him on Twitter. You know, it's amazing that it's so proximate, that it's just, like— Glenn Greenwald just has to yell at you and then all of a sudden it's fucking on Tucker Carlson for the whole... I I don't know what... Yeah, dude. What is your We're view in a strange on Glenn world. Greenwald? Yeah, like what? dead end gl- 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 Are they Greenwald making money? Is it for money? Like, what is Glenn Greenwald? Sent like nine tweets
1: about me the other day because I appeared on Joy Ann Reed's show, and he's and he felt like that showed grave hypocrisy. Why? Because Joy had sent some homophobic tweets or something a long time ago, and then like kind of. D- do you do you think oh. you could
2: be making a lot more money now if you doubled down on like? Stuck with the Trump thing. Like sometimes I yeah, think I'm I a suck. sucker. I should just like go in. I could yeah. be crushing it in conservative world because it's such a low caliber of person. Like you could be running circles around these people, and yet we decide to compete against other Democrats. And it's like, oh my God, like it's too much competition. I don't I, like. I, did you think about sticking it out?
1: I never thought about sticking <laughs> it out. Um, if I I fucking hate Donald. I have like I have full <laughs> Trump derangement <laughs> syndrome. Like I hate him. I hate yeah, all these too. people. me too. and I'm going to be them. the old right. 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 Gonna be the old man in the senior citizens <laughs> yes. home, pointing right. my bony finger at right. the other person in the cafeteria, being like that person was for Trump and I would right. not sit with them in the right. cafeteria right. Um, in twenty eighty two. But right. um, so I would not but that said, and I and I just I preface this by saying I do not I do not want or require any sympathy. I'm doing just fine. I have a wonderful life in Oakland. Um, but the amount of money that it was left on the table by bailing is, like, extremely substantial. Right. And my friends who stuck around, you know, they like, literally one was just telling me the other day. He was like, dude, you have no idea. He's like, people that are idiots are millionaires over right. this because— you know, just the amount of money flowing through these campaigns, also like uh, the, the no competition thing is part of it. But, but the amount of money that's flowing through these campaigns, you know, both bottom up from MAGA donors who are now spending way more on small dollars than they were for Mitt Romney, like the amount of small dollar money coming into these campaigns. Peter Chill was pay to go have
2: some parties and, be yeah, cool. and, then,
1: <laughs> and then top down from the billionaire class, from the like contrarian billionaire class. So, so yeah, no, they're doing, uh, they're doing well, but, uh, that's that's just part of life that's part of you know having principles is
2: supposed to be costly i guess that's sort of that's how you get to feel good about it yeah, it's them.
1: okay but i'm going to yoga and just kind of <laughs> dealing with it yeah. good things happen to bad people that's you know that's that's part of life it's a good have, life lesson
2: have you spent time with peter teal
1: No. I get a lot of calls from everybody that wants to write Peter Thiel stories. They're just like, you're gay. You were a Republican. Didn't you ever get invited over? I don't know if I was twinkie enough for Peter to get invited to the house. When I I see pictures of the little crowd that surrounds him, they have more muscles (laughs) and are blonder (laughs) than me. So I just I don't know that I was ever picked. You, you out read a the, lot
2: into that question, got, but uh, <laughs> or he, or or it's possible he just knew
1: that I was. I'm I'm kind of the enemy. You have to understand for these people. You should have spent like, more time with, at Barry's
0: boot camp. Apparently that's the I should have spent more deal. time at Barry's for
1: these folks, like the the teal crowd. Like I'm really like the enemy. Like as hmm. much as the left is the enemy, like the quote unquote neocon kind of like establishment uh, like I said we're both we're moderate and oh, I don't want to say Peter's moderate but our views are different in opposite ways right like I was drawn to Republican stuff by like the U.S. should play a force for good in the world you know we should have less government in our lives like Peter was drawn to it for like we should have culture war the U.S. should do less <laughs> like we should punish our enemies right and so they looked at the like establishment Republican types as the real real enemies and so no I, I don't we didn't have a we didn't like like the
0: bombing parts yeah
1: we were on opposite sides of all those primaries that's rude uh we're on opposite sides of all those primaries back in the day
0: let's just play it forward by the way this episode is coming up before the midterms this might be our most topically relevant episode um
2: (laughs) i'm so proud of us for doing something ahead of something actually usually it comes out like a week
0: after the story is like passed (laughs) anyway so you know i assume that the republicans will win the house i guess the senate is is sort of a toss-up you know, if they're in play, you know, and assuming they try to push some sort of legislation as far as tech goes, I mean, what do you expect to see given the makeup of the, the current GOP?
1: Well, I think the Republicans will take the Senate uh, too. just while we're in the prediction business, but they're going to do nothing. There'll be some brinksmanship on the budget. And they will investigate Hunter Biden. They'll probably oh try to impeach God. Secretary Mayorkas if Secretary Mayorkas doesn't resign. Who? What? The Homeland Security
2: man. I don't even know some of this storylines they have going on. I oh, I read yeah. this stuff like yeah, what parlor
1: man. Now anyone who doesn't understand, and this is good for everyone who has a friend who like. You know, is kind of unhappy about inflation and thinks Elon's funny and is dabbling in, right. you know, Republicanism. I sign everybody one hour of Steve Bannon's podcast a week. Oh my God. You just got to listen to it for one hour. And if you like what you're hearing, then go ahead and put on the hat, switch teams. But that is uh, to understand what's happening. You need one hour of Steve Bannon's this podcast. This is part of the
2: argument week. of why letting Trump back on Twitter could be good for Democrats, where it's like yeah. at least like get these see. moderates back in touch with what. Republicans, what they actually believe. Won't.
1: So no, I don't think. I and mean, there is this thing called secret. Uh, this thing that has been termed "secret Congress," which like does things that are that are just kind of not in the headlines, right. you know, and make incremental change to various things where things can get passed. It's been very I, productive, right? That's yeah. Me. So there could be some. I'm a little bit out of tech policy from my days when I was doing that work, so I don't exactly know what could fit under that rubric. But like the idea that there's going to be big, sweeping, you know, change to you know, Section 230 or to addressing these, like, big controversial, you know, issues around antitrust, et cetera, like, there's not... It's just not, not it's just going to die. There's not, they're they're not going to cut a deal. Yeah, nobody's cutting a fucking deal on that over the next two years between now and the next presidential.
0: Yeah, so no one's going to champion one way or the other the, like, you know, carried interest loop, you know, loophole or or anything that, like, would actually... yeah, actually matter yeah. to our audience. Going
2: going back to sort of the you know the neocons and and the Republican or sort of the new right hating neocons, did David Sachs and Peter Thiel support the war in Iraq? Like I feel like David Sachs is on Twitter all the time being like. The war in Iraq was such a mistake. Blah, blah, blah. But like that guy, I definitely supported he it. He had to right? support right? I don't I know. I can't. I can't find. I'm like, I've lazily. You can't find Googled any evidence around. for this. How I mean, much he time he spent... He wasn't much of a person. I can't find evidence either way. You know, they just become more famous. Like, but these people
0: are prolific. I mean, they're like fucking. You know, like oh. Alexander Hamilton. If anybody has evidence
2: like... that David Sachs supported the war in Iraq, yeah. send it to me. It, I'm, try, I'm looking well, I guess
1: I guess you wouldn't see David Sachs on a CrossFit message board, but maybe <laughs> check out some. I don't know message boards, Just the bodybuilding ones. Yeah, um, but uh, <laughs> I uh, see boards. if he's see see where he's posting. I'd have to assume so that he had been. Yeah, but again, like that's what I'm saying. These guys, like that, is you know sort of the cheat code for like drawing the type of audience that they want, right? Which is that we're not part of the est- elite establishment, and so in order to do that, you know, to go down this contrarian path. You just have to look at well, okay, what were the things that the elites did that were wrong? Like the Iraq War is obviously example one, right. and so you know all of them like criticize that now. Uh, but you know there weren't a lot of people like that looked like David Sachs at the at the Code Pink protest in Crawford, <laughs> right? To my to my recollection. So
2: the idea that these guys are not elites, like the whole elite conversation, is the most infuriating. Like anybody just gets to call somebody else an elite, and then I mean with the whole Kanye situation and the rising like anti-semitism, it feels like even more coded when it's like you're a billionaire and yet you're calling other people elites. What is that? Well,
0: actually, I think it's fairly straightforward. If you are influencing elections, then you are an elite. If you are influencing an election and also have a podcast with other people in which you're criticizing elites, then you're not an elite because you're criticizing them and you're aware of the hierarchy and being aware of the hierarchy removes you from that. Therefore, you are clear to do that without being responsible for the system.
1: I think if you are a 1% owner in the Golden State Warriors and get chastised for saying rude things Uh about the Uyghurs, and saying nice things about the Chinese, then you are not an elite because the real elite is the majority owner of the Warriors who has more of a stake in the basketball team and can can (laughs) wag his finger at you. Right. Or the people that are on
2: Twitter. As long as you can find one person more elite than you, (laughs) you can whine about the elites. Right. Yeah.
0: Look to your left, look to your right. If they're not more elite than you, then you're in big trouble. Okay, the last section of the podcast here, we have spent a lot of time talking about the types of people who are extremely critical of the mainstream media and and I guess Eric and me and and people that represent that. But you were also a central figure in the Facebook stories from a couple years, not central figure, you were a figure in the the Facebook stories from a couple years back and kind of, you know, in your time with definers and advising I don't know if it was Cheryl specifically or, or just Facebook on, you know, policy and presentation and how to kind of work your way in through Washington. And yeah. they were kind of pointing to definers and maybe even you specifically as, I don't know, kind of a nefarious part of running a corporation and pushing through, I don't know, misleading talking points and legislation and things like that. And the New York Times specifically, I mean, looking back at that whole period, which I think did, you know, affect you. In certain ways. I mean, what's your take on that whole episode and the way that the media can occasionally glom onto a narrative and, you know, see it through? I know this is going to be really a complicated answer.
1: And so it's going to challenge people's priors and make people really, (laughs) you know, uncomfortable. But like the media can be not perfect. And also like, do their the best the to try to get the story right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. and figure it out. I know. Wow. And this is really challenging. I mean, I, you know, I always I say like some people on the right get mad at me and they're like, why aren't you more mad at the left? You were canceled. And I was like, I was. I'm, I'm doing OK. Right. I've got more Twitter followers than Tom. Um, and <laughs> I'm here on this podcast right now. So I'm doing OK. <laughs> I was criticized. <laughs> Yeah. I was criticized. The work we were doing for Facebook, I think some of the work we were criticized for was totally fair. You know, I write about this and not to do a book plug while I'm no, talking about the bad things yeah. I did. But, like, I write about this in the book where I, I look back. What's the title? The, Say your title. Uh, it's called Why We Did It. I look back at the choices that I made, even though I bailed on Trump. And I think I made some bad choices. You're, when you're in this ecosystem of playing this political game or political adjacent game in the game of, like, public affairs PR – You know, there's a lot of incentives that push yourself to, you know, want to help to get clients, want to help to get good stories for your clients, want to help support your, you know, the people that are paying you, that like make you do some shit, not make you, but that lead you to do shit that is in a gray area, ethically speaking. And I think that in the bubble, one of the things I wanted to write about in the book, I think was so important, is in this bubble, like... The people who criticize you for that are bad and those of us who are just trying to do our job, you know, running cover for these big companies or, or these politicians are like, you know, we're just part of the game. Like I don't like get off our back. Right. Like this is just, you know, part of our job. And like that culture, I think, is very, you know, creates problems, you know, and I think creates bad incentives. And I think that it allowed a lot of people to justify going to work for Trump because they'd been doing work that right. they self-justified for a long time, that they knew part of it was not real. The point of
2: ethics is that it might be inconvenient to you. The idea that yeah. it's just your job is not an out like that. That's sort of exactly what the point of sort of moral <laughs> exactly. decision is. That is
1: exactly right. But I, my point is that in this culture in D.C., particularly on the right, there was this you know, kind of buddy you know culture in which... We don't have to deal with those ethical questions because, like, you know, this is this is just part of you know what we do, right? And so, anyway, style
2: be savvy, like play the game. Yeah, we're savvy, right? We get
1: it, we get it. (laughs) These other fucking whiners on Twitter in their basement complaining about us don't get it. So anyway, that's that's a long intro to the point of like the actual Facebook story we were consulting for Facebook. A lot of the work that Definers was doing, I look back on and feel gross about. The actual Facebook thing that the original story was about is like not really one of them. Like the work that we were doing for Facebook was kind of just basic blocking and tackling do it running PR and I guess maybe working for Facebook is bad. <laughs> like The yeah. actual thing that they picked on in 2018 was like yes. this. Yeah, it's like we put together backgrounders for all of the people that criticized them. Right. And it was just like, here's why that person is conflicted. A lot of times these are people on the right. All these people we've been talking about. Right. All right. the people who, who had fake cancellations, who said we were shadow banned, you know, Diamond and Silk are testifying in front of Congress. And I was putting together backgrounder being like Diamond and Silk are not shadow banned. Actually, they're doing great on Facebook. Hmm. Maybe Facebook should be banning them more, actually. And so, you know, we did similar for lefty critics. And the one example that the Times keyed in on was the idea that, like, there was a background on who is funding, you know, some of the left-wing critics of Facebook. And George Soros was one of the funders. And so I sent the Times this background. I was like, there's nothing here. Like, we're just looking into who the various people are that are funding the anti-Facebook work. And then they sat on it for six months. And then the Tree of Life synagogue thing happens. And, like, the story runs four days later, which is like, Facebook is high. Republicans to like smear, you know, to be like, uh, you know, make up this fake thing about George Soros. And then the next year, The Times runs an op-ed from, like, the Soros Foundation that's like, we are looking into Facebook. And so, like, this is true. So, anyway. did Facebook
2: come out aggressively attacking Soros itself? No, nobody had come out aggressively attacking Soros. So, it was just behind the scenes. Facebook has come to an assessment that it thinks Soros is involved in attacking.
1: Yeah, there was a list of all the different potential liberal groups and organizations and, like, Soros is, like, the flashy name because that's what people talk about. So, I I get it. You have to be sensitive around Soros because there is a lot of anti-Semitic attacks but like literally this was what i did all the time as a pr guy which i'm happy i don't have to do anymore which is like hey we did some research i sent it to a bunch of reporters probably not eric newcomer and it was like hey will you look into this see if this is true etc the thing never went out like it never was published you sent the soros
2: things to reporters yeah it was like a backgrounder
1: on like who's funding the left-wing anti-facebook stuff um so anyway, in retrospect, that's probably not great. Because of Soros, like, we probably should have been more sensitive, even with the backgrounder, but, like, nothing went public. I just think that the reaction to it was overwhelming. But because the reaction was so great, in large part because of the proximity to the Tree of Life thing, which was fucking horrible, and there was a ton of Soros misinformation that was happening at the time about the caravans and stuff, which I was criticizing, like, they looked into other shit definers did. And, like, yeah, and we were, all these people that we're talking about right now, the right-wing media types, like, I was feeding them shit you know, to write stories about, you know, on behalf of clients. And, like, I justified that because I was like, you know, whatever. Like, the stuff I'm sending them isn't racist, right? But, you know, it's it's going to live on these, like, mega websites. And um, and I, like, I, I shouldn't have been fucking playing footsies with those assholes. You know, like, I shouldn't have been doing, like, why? To, like, you get paid extra money by, by Qualcomm? Like, all that stuff was you know, regrettable. And some of it was, was not even really real, right? But that's part of doing PR. And I like, I kind of wish I wasn't, I hadn't been doing that.
0: Yeah. I mean, what's interesting to me as a tech reporter during that period is that it seemed like this was the fast realization for a lot of tech reporters that the companies that they have gotten have become very political in the way that they ran their PR operations. And I'm not saying the reporting was right or wrong, or, or we shouldn't be critical of the fact that this was the new norm in the way these companies were run. But it just seemed like there was an unfamiliarity within a lot of tech reporters when you see things that are standard within the DC world. Now, you could argue that it's not okay for it to be standard within the kind of the political world. But there just seemed like, you know, it felt like foreign territory for a lot of reporters. And you you see something, well, yeah.
2: I, I feel like a a challenge with reporting sometimes is sometimes you can have great reporting that comes in and says something that's like obvious to every other reporter, but the public doesn't understand. And people will go wild because the public Whoa. doesn't know it, even though. Right, right. Like, it's like, right. this is this now, was like, my thing on the Facebook right, thing. It was like, it was right. crazy.
1: Everybody, everybody's like now looking at like, oh my God, this firm that has Republican guys is working for Facebook. This is shocking. Right. I was like, every reporter knew we were working right, for right, Like, right, like right. We weren't doing, like they tried to, pay, they did paint it in, in a way. And I I don't really think this was intentional, but like it made it seem like oh, man, like we're uncovering this dark right. arts thing when like really like we were just like doing basic public affairs for Facebook. Like I said, we were doing some, some more. So we were doing some dark arts stuff for some other companies, which is why maybe Facebook shouldn't have hired us. And maybe we should have never work for Facebook. I grant all that. But yeah, I, I, I do think that there was there is sometimes a sense of kind of a babe in the woods type attitude.
2: The New York Times uniquely is able to just be like, both because they're good at framing and writing and because they have such a huge audience and just like turning the whole world onto something as soon as they write about it.
0: But, but to me, the, the framing was always what bothered me about a lot of those stories because you can criticize the tactic in general and the fact that all these companies use these things. But I remember there was you know, a lot of stories saying, Facebook had operatives that were going into Trump HQ and all their campaigns and giving them data and helping them, you know, work on Facebook a lot more so that and it's just like, well, yeah, because yeah, right. they're spending a lot of money on Facebook. And that's their job as a company that makes money is to make sure that the people that are spending money, that there were a lot of stories written about that. And in one sense, it's like, uh, OK, yeah, I mean, that, that does sort of suck if you want to talk about any, you know, platform having some sort of relationship with any kind of client. I would love it if these things were all just like, you know, software that people would just plug into and there wasn't this kind of hand in glove approach to things. But the fact is there is and it's constant, specifically within politics. And I just think you need to have an awareness of that if you want to have a smart opinion on it rather than just feel like, ooh, that really smells bad to me. And you can frame it in that way. and, And I don't know, the stories just didn't hold up, in my opinion. You know, they were splashes at the moment and looking back at them, they just look really thin.
1: Yeah, I so I think there are two elements. I think there was a Facebook moral panic at the moment. In yeah. part because like they thought that there was right. Facebook's fault that Donald Trump won. You know, because of the stuff General that was on the Russia and the platform, and like none of that like has held up as being really true. Like the like I, the Russia, the stuff that happened in the mainstream media. This was the other thing I got mad. I did get mad at the Times about. I was just like, <laughs> you guys <laughs> fucking uh, like we're the ones right. to right. blame. Well, that's like, you were the ones Stammer's that were covering WikiLeaks. Exactly. You were the one that was covering right. Hillary's <laughs> emails on the front page. Right. I was like right. these little Facebook it was like pages media that like fucking yeah. destroyed everything. Yeah, yeah, the earned media. destroyed destroyed hillary like these facebook pages they were bad facebook should have caught them but like they were right. really hackneyed you know like, like the amount of impressions that the front right. page of the new york times got was significantly more than, like, the weird little Facebook right. groups that they had started to create. and Like, the amount of ad money they spent was really small. So, anyway, it, it doesn't mean it was good. There should have certainly been reporting about all that. But, like, there was this, like, more, like, everybody kind of got cozy being, like, it's Facebook's fault that Donald Trump won. And, like, that, like, Facebook did, you know, stuff that, in retrospect, they, you know, they should have cracked down on. But, but like, there were a lot of actors who were complicit in the WikiLeaks stuff in particular in the Russian op on our elections in, in 2016. So, that did bother. Me and I and I think that like had you know you literally taken this exact same story about what we were doing for Facebook and like we had been doing it for Apple, like no. I it literally wouldn't it would have been like a half a day story right like people just wouldn't have cared like it was, well, there Apple, there, the there was at the t- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 there was a lot of you know because people are doing that for Apple by the way and they're still doing it <laughs> to this day and for Google and for whatever and so I think that there was this just, just this moment about that and and I think that that some of that was obviously overblown and led <laughs> to some my dossier, dossier. Please of my direct Facebook. I would like to read it. Um... <laughs> and the other uh, the other element, though, is I do think that the Trump thing woke people up and we were kind of some, a shrapnel to that a little bit. And there's an element of this that I do agree with. And I think that these challenges are hard for reporters or for anybody, which is like things that were SOP, you know, when Mark Penn was standard doing the shit for Microsoft. Procedure. Yeah, things that were standard operating procedure when Mark Penn was doing the shit for Microsoft. Like, is that really appropriate in the Trump era, right? Like, is it really appropriate after the Muslim ban, you know, uh, he proposes a Muslim ban to go do white glove service for them? I don't know the answer to that. I think that's worth looking at. Like, uh, then on the other hand, like, should companies really be saying, well, we have random red lines of people that we're willing to give, you know, we'll do it for Liz Cheney, but we won't do it for for Donald Trump? Maybe that isn't... A... I, I, I do think that there's some there's some ethical questions associated with that that just, like, the absurdity and just extent of Trump's, you know, fucking corruption and bigotry. Like, like I like made things that, that in a different time might have seemed like not that big of a right. deal into feeling like a big deal for like some good reasons. I, so I think that that is also an
2: element of this. Moving away from companies for a second, like just like as a, you know, looking at the Democrats for a second. it's a former rat like, fucker. Yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like there's one view... That, like, Democrats aren't cynical enough, like, you are you got to fight fire with fire, like, the Republicans are so good at, like, trying to win, and we're all just, like, a bunch of, like, earnest people running around being like, why? Why do they do that? On the other hand, I feel like there's an argument that it's, like, if you're going to play, like, moral piety, you should, like— stand you know rise to the occasion i don't know do you have a general like leaning one way whether the the democrats should be more pragmatic more ruthless try to win against a real enemy or if you're going to be the virtuous player you got to be virtuous and like stick to that
1: um i i mean i can't they do both i don't know i maybe there are going to be times of moral where their things are ethically gray you know, I don't know. Like, I don't know what's the answer to this. This is another scandal that was associated with Facebook stuff but, what, and stuff we were doing when we were working for PR. Like, we would run these, like, kind of not really news things that kind of looked like news, right, in order to promote, you know, certain things. So it wasn't, like, fake in the sense that we made up the facts, but it was fake in the sense that, like, you made something look like news that's actually a PR op. That's just, like, something that a million grass tops people have been doing ever since they were mailing fake newspapers. You know, you'd have a website that would be like, oh, yeah, you know, the Lynchburg Gazette, like tell, you know, right. you know, reports this fact. And so like you sort of reframe this article that was written by a, a you know credible outlet to like make it as inflammatory as possible and then right. do promoted ads to it, that sort of thing. Right. So Democrats are doing this now. Right. Like Republicans have been doing it. Democrats are doing it. And it's like, should Democrats not be doing that because they should, you know, practice what they preach? Or should Democrats make sure to use every tool at their disposal to compete against the threat? Yeah,
2: that's what I'm asking I, I don't, you. You don't yeah, know. Yeah, <laughs> no, I no,
1: I'm giving that as a confusion. Right, I, I right. Give, I'm giving that as an example that I think is I really I don't know. I, I'm right. not I'm I'm not an ethicist and I don't think that if you read my book, anyone would want me to be their ethicist. <laughs> um, so I'm doing the best I can. I think that's a confusing one. And I think that they deserve to be criticized for it, but at the same time, I get it. I think that the thing that bugs me more about the Democrats is I do think that one difference between the right and the left, in a way that's nice and pure about the Democrats, but is hurting them, is that the actual people that staff these campaigns are like really earnest, <laughs> really really earnest, right. and God love them. Like the people that run Republican campaigns are nihilists, and I think that this, like, I, and we're paying with a broad brush, obviously, but right. like, but generally there's something to this, and I see Democrats, like. Using messaging and things because they think that it's the right thing to do and they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings on their team and stuff that is actually hurting campaigns and if you look at their paid advertising democrats paid advertising is like pretty good like if you look at tim ryan's paid advertising in ohio like you might think that he's a republican right <laughs> like it's pretty good in the sense like it is i love it the, the ad
2: with his wife it's like you don't have to agree on everything with your own wife you don't why would you have yeah. to agree with a politician like yeah
1: yeah so i mean some of the stuff he, he used him with tucker carlson and so i think that like the paid you know but who's running the paid advertising it's like older gray haired right. like democratic strategists like who's running the twitter feed, who's running the Facebook feed, who's dealing with the candidate day to day. And right. I and I just I, I worry that Democrats are leaving stuff on the table and like losing races they should be winning. I've I've written just this week about the Arizona governor's race, like which is a fuck clusterfuck. Um, I, I look at Fetterman, you know, and I see this whole the Fetterman discourse. It's like, guys, it might be ableist it might hurt his feelings, you know, it might not be appropriate to criticize, but if we had a real talk, real politique discussion about Fetterman after his stroke, like should they really have right. tried to find another candidate, right? Like, if he wasn't going to be up for it, like, like that's not ableist, it's just like re, it's just reality, right? It's not saying that Fetterman can never run for anything again, or that he should be insulted or mocked, or that people that have aphasia should be insulted or mocked. You're dumb, like, How like dare what's you? what's yeah, but like, what is the but right. the, this person is going to have a senate seat for six right. years and they're going to be a puppet for Donald Trump. Maybe we should. Like do what you can to win. So like that is the part I, I do think that that sometimes Democrats pull punches because they're trying to do the right thing or feeling like they want to do the right thing in ways that is harmful. Yeah, and right. that concerns me.
0: All right, Tim. We should we should probably wrap it up there, but Thank you for coming on. Okay. I hope you feel you know more uh, morally pure in your in your movement away from you know being in PR and, and promoting other companies to being in media and promoting yourself, which is the light, <laughs> which is the truth and the way.
2: <laughs> and uh, I, yeah.
1: well, the nice thing is about about it is that I uh, I'm just promoting shit I that actually think is true. So that's a good step. It's not. It's uh-huh. maybe not morally pure, but it is an important step in living a fulfilling life and. So I do recommend that, and you know, but I'm still I'm still a fallen angel, you know, trying to do my best. So maybe eventually I'll I'll move one step over from promoting myself to like promoting oh, other then you're people are do company. good things. <laughs> oh, dang. Okay. Well, let me know. I don't <laughs> yeah. I don't think the priesthood is for me, but maybe if you find something a little more pure, I'm happy to take feedback.
0: All right. Th- thanks, Tim. Thanks for joining. Thanks a bunch. This is great. See ya. Cool. Goodbye.